Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is staff writer researcher Anastasia Obis. Hi, Anastasia. Hey, Alex. So you recently talked with Sherry Thomas, the cyber technology officer at the U.S. Marine Corps. How'd it go? It went great. I wanted to ask him about all things related to standing up a unified network. So really dove into what they're currently working on, what it takes and what it will take the service to have a unified network, what some of the challenges are, what his concerns are. We talked about concepts like stand-in forces, bringing capabilities to the edge. So it was a great conversation. So unified networks, I'm going to be honest, I am not entirely familiar with that concept. Could you tell me a little bit more about those and what it means to stand up a unified network at the Marine Corps? Yeah, of course. So the Marine Corps is actually predicted to be the most distributed force ever by 2030. And it means that they will operate in highly contested environments and they will face competitors with really significant command, control, communications, cyber intelligence capabilities. And that just presents a huge threat to networks, which is why we're seeing a lot of efforts from different service branches to modernize their networks. And not just that, but also create an environment where different service branches can communicate with each other, breaking down silos and passing information easily, because as it currently stands, it's actually very challenging to do that. And, you know, we're seeing some of the efforts like JETC2, among others. But, you know, we know that the Marine Corps will operate in a very distributed manner in areas like the Pacific. So it's just extremely important to modernize what in some cases are very arcane networks. And standing up a unified network is basically having a network that is secure and that is accessed easily and that enables multi-domain operations. I do have to ask, when you say a very dispersed uh, Marine Corps, does that mean space? Space. Space. Who knows? Who knows if I'll keep this in the episode? I just want to know if we're going to get like space Marines, if that's the goal of all this. They're looking into, it's actually one of the things that they're looking into, the army's looking into, but the space is such an uncharted territory, no one knows what to do with it as it currently stands. So we'll see. We definitely will. Well, bringing it back down to earth, is there anything else that our listeners should know before jumping into your conversation? I just wanted to highlight a couple of things. And I think I see a lot of this conversation from different service branches. And first of all, edge computing is so vital to the warfighter, but securing networks and enabling data access at network age, it's very difficult. It requires a whole infrastructure that's been in the works and that's something that they will continue to work on in the coming years. Also, when it comes to standing up a unified network in the tactical space, 
things operate differently from the enterprise space. And there's a whole slew of challenges that comes with that. But like, what does it take to have that? I see a lot of conversation around identity management and that it remains a priority and a challenge and concern. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to have a system where no one has to sign into several different systems, but have a single sign on. And it's easier said than done. Also, Sherry said that he has concerns for the future of artificial intelligence and how that's going to shape out. So yeah, we cover a lot of different things as it relates to having a unified network in the service. And yeah, I'm excited for everyone to listen to it. Yeah, so am I. It is a jam-packed episode, so let's not wait any longer. Let's take a listen to your conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. And to kick off the conversation, could you introduce yourself very quickly and tell me about your career and what your current role entails? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, and it's a great opportunity uh, for everyone to stay engaged in what's going on in terms of the, the space that we are speaking to today. Uh, my name is Sherry Thomas. I am the Cyber Technology Officer, uh, and I'm also uh, dual-headed as a tech director, technical director for three, four different organizations. And I'll get into that later, because first I want to start off in terms of that trajectory and how, do, how did I get there. Started in my career uh, on the Air Force side, uh, looking at networks, which is the transport side of how things move around uh, from a network space in both the tactical side and the enterprise side. Then I moved over to the Army. Uh, and in the Army, I did a host of different uh, areas in terms of the transport network, the data, uh, and the security piece of it uh, from both the offensive and the defensive side. So it's arranged in terms of research and development uh, to program executive offices that are fielding equipment and then sustainment. I've, looked, I've worked in all three of those areas. I did get to uh, work at the uh, Pentagon in terms of a uh, strategic uh, overarching uh, perspective and looking across the entire uh, portfolio of all acquisition logistics and technology within the Army primarily focused on Intel, EW, uh, communication command and control systems that go on ground and aviation systems. So that was a, a good lead in uh, to uh, the next thing where uh, if people are following the news in 2018, the Army made a significant change and created a new command called Army Futures Command. Um, help to stand the one of the CFTs, the cross-functional teams, which is the network cross-functional team, uh, and looked across the entire spectrum from the requirements all the way to sustainment of some technologies. Uh, and this had to look in terms of new paradigms uh, because of how quickly technology changes and how to adapt to it. Uh, and we can hear some of that um, in different other avenues that are going on, too, in terms of the commercial space and the government space trying to keep up with the industry. Which leads me into my current role, which is with the United States Marine Corps as a cyber technology officer and the tech director, as I mentioned. And I am looking at the enterprise side, 
and the tactical side. So what that entails is we are the service cyber component to United States Cyber Command. We are the space component to United States Space Command. Um, we are also uh, the service component to uh, Special Operations Command, and we heavily support the Indo-Pacific Command. Um, in addition, we are actively working with uh, JFHU Joint Force Headquarters, Doden, in terms of the secure operate defend part of the network, uh, and we are the service cyber component. I know I put a lot of those words and things in there. It's basically all of the technology and all of the transport of that technology from the communication space um, goes through our channels for current operations. That's in a nutshell. And we look at um, multiple different areas that come in current operations, if you will. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. That's a lot of work. And I really wanted to talk to you about the efforts to create a secure unified network that enables multi-domain operations. And, you know, considering the geographic diversity of where Marine Corps facilities are, it's also predicted that Marine Corps will be the most distributed force in the future operating in highly contested environments. It will require a capable network to work in those environments. So could you take me through those efforts? What's going on in that space? Um, how do you think about standing up a unified network? What is your vision? And also how you're planning to bring connectivity to the edge. Absolutely. Um, yes, as you have mentioned, there is something called uh, MixSend, Marine Corps Enterprise Network Unification. And that unification is everything from the enterprise layer down to the tactical uh, MEFs, more force. Uh, and how are we doing that? Because we are distributed force, we have to make sure that data comes across, right? That's the relevancy of the fight, that we have the appropriate information at the right time. To do that, you need to have an adequate transport network. So that transport is multiple redundancy. It could be line of sight, beyond line of sight. Uh, it could be aviation links. It could be uh, satellite links. Uh, and it could be cloud architecture. So we look at the entire paradigm in what what is the art of the possible, bridging those tactical uh, dis, uh, dismount, they call it D-DIL environment, dismount, low bandwidth, intermittent connectivity type environments uh, and bridging it back. Now you have to get to what is the availability in the network and figure out what data can be transposed. Sometimes you cannot get 4D uh, high definition quality video or uh, photography, for example, pictures, images, it might have to just be basic chat messages that have to come through. And then when network availability happens, uh, then the rest of the streams can come through. So it should not be the user that determines any of that or make configuration changes. The network has to autonomously do it. And we have something called AutoPace, uh, which is uh, preliminary, alternate, uh, contingency, emergency responses. And all of that has to be done through the network uh, and it has to figure out, do I go through one stream versus another stream? Uh, do I provide video? Do I not provide? Do I provide image? Maybe um, instead of 4D four, four, uh, high quality, uh, down to lower and lower, 
uh, levels where you can just see pixels or dotted lines. So that's where we're getting to. So it's all about speed, range, and convergence. Um, you kind of hit on something in the beginning, which I want to uh, highlight a little bit too. Part of Mixen unification is something called Task Force Network Modernization. It is part of the Force Design 2030, which is the modernization of the entire network. We see we cannot have an arcane network from the 90s or even from the, about 10 or 15 years ago because things change so rapidly. And we have to keep up with it. To do that, uh, we have divided this up into multiple different areas. We're looking at the networks and services, which is the transport side. We're looking at the data and the AI in terms of how do you break out of all the different silos of, of all the data and the information presented holistically. Uh, we're looking at federation of clouds because there are many different clouds and how do you bring it all together. Uh, and then the last piece is talent management. The, the person at the end of the day, whether it be a tactical user or the enterprise user, has to be able to know how to, uh, how to use this stuff properly and what all these layers behind are that it does. We cannot simply be like, here, uh, go with it. And the other thing is you cannot give anybody a 250 page manual anymore. In today's day and light, an iOS or an Android, you start using it and you're good to go. You can provide your basic functionality for something additional. Yeah, there's a wiki or there's some learning process to do it, but that's something for the individual to, to go and figure out. And it has to be all web-based. Hopefully that answered it. Thank you. Yeah, it did. And you know, you touched a little bit on it, but what about some of the challenges that the service will need to work through? You talked about data. So I'm curious to hear about what challenges are associated with that. How is the Marine Corps thinking about the infrastructure that is needed to have a unified network? And, you know, could you elaborate a little bit on the challenges operating in remote environments? Absolutely. Yes. Um, so what is being operated today in an enterprise with a lot of power and a lot of size, weight, capacity is not something you're going to have at the tactical edge. So we have to be aware of that. We have to also be aware of jamming uh, and so multiple uh, resistance and redundancy is required. So if something is not working, there's a backup option uh, and there's a third backup option. So we're working through those scenarios in the different um, theaters, if you will. Uh, and because we are a stand-in force, we're required to go out into those theater areas and figure out what those reachback communication mechanisms are. We are also working with our industry partners. So that they are a vital cog in this in this whole construct because we got to figure out with them what is the art of the possible and what does uh, from their business lens and from their technological lens are you seeing this side of the view which is hey there's a, a marine up on a hill somewhere in the remote Pacific island and how do they get reach back communication we got to test all these things out multiple our research and development and test and evaluation scenarios. Uh, a lot of experimentation is happening, um, going through all the different uh, use cases, if you will, and scenarios. Could you give me an example of a use case? 
Yes. Um, so we did a couple of the exercises. We are tied with the Army's Project Convergence. We are tied with the uh, Navy's uh, Project Overmatch. Uh, and we are inserting ourselves uh, from a joint all-domain command and control perspective uh, to ensure there is both from the service perspective and from a coalition perspective, uh, different uh, exercises. You probably could uh, see what's going on now out out in the, the public too, in terms of different things that we are tied into. Uh, but we're trying to maximize as much as we can in terms of what our partner nations and our uh, coalition forces are providing. The other piece that I want to also highlight is that we are tied at the hip with other departments within uh, the government too. Department of State, Department of um, Transportation, for example, uh, Department of Energy, because these are big ones that uh, help us shape in terms of what our future looks like uh, based on data centers, if you will, for the uh, what's happening here on site uh, and how things are getting deployed. Uh, FCC, for example, provides some uh, things back to those commercial vendors. So we've got to be cognizant at, at the larger level and provide feedback appropriately, not just within this space, but in the larger. Over. Right. And could you also elaborate on what you're learning from your sister services, who is doing it well in the space and how you're collaborating on standing up a unified network? Absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, I was fortunate enough to come from the Army side. The Army is also working on the Army Unified Network Strategy and Plan. Uh, so we are leveraging best use cases with that, knowing that the Marines operate differently. Uh, and it also, um, you have to have a cognizance of how the architecture was developed and what can be replaced. In the future, we want to maximize replacement as much as possible, hardware, software solutions not be so tied down that they can, it's very hard to change. The other piece that we are uh, leveraging as much as possible is the, is the Navy side. Uh, our sister um, from the same department on different scenarios that they have from the ashore and the afloat side. There's a lot of lessons learned from there uh, with the Marines that are on, on board there. So that's a perfect use case scenario. Uh, and then the third one that I would say is the actual Indo-Pacific theater or the appropriate theater that we're working on. Uh, and all of our coalition partners and our joint uh, partners that are uh, persistent there uh, helps us keep iterating and keep learning as much as possible. Yeah. And also going back to something you mentioned, could you, for those who don't know, could you explain the stand and forces concept and also what you're learning from exercises and experimentations conducted in the last couple of years and how that's informing your approach to forest design? Absolutely. Um, so it's basically be ready to fight tonight at any time. To do that, we need to share information and that sharing information uh, has to be based on scenarios, if you will, with what our relationships are with partners, what our relationships are with our allies, uh, and what is the pertinent information. That too is not something a, a, a human or a user should be doing. It should be the system trying to figure out 
what is that pertinent information based on the available bandwidth of it uh, and have the appropriate protections in place that whoever I'm routing it to or moving over to uh, also has uh, privy or awareness to get that information uh, and use it appropriately uh, together, if you will. Um, that's the basics of it. You need to have a level of trust and you need to have a level of understanding uh, of the inherency in terms of where, what we're doing and what someone else is doing. That, again, it's not the human or the collective group that's that should be determining, but which other system is it going to? What is going to happen with that, right? Heuristic analysis or neural learning, that kind of stuff. So, so it's an augmenting of both um, the intelligence space, the technology, uh, and the users that are trying to do a mission. Yeah, and you're at the forefront of zero trust implementation. Could you talk a little bit about what that journey looks like and how you're coordinating your data readiness efforts for the framework implementation? Absolutely. Um, so most people are probably aware of the DOD zero trust strategy from the CIO office. Uh, so we're actively nested there uh, in terms of seven pillars. Uh, and from those pillars, in particular, what we're looking at is from an enterprise DCO perspective, we, we hit on earlier in terms of the enterprise to the tactical, right? We are trying to glean as much information from the tactical uh, users, because at the end of the day, it's those endpoint devices that are providing all that information back up to the enterprise, and that's what creating an enterprise. So knowing that, uh, we have to figure out uh, user analysis and user behavior in terms of what is anomalous, what's um, mistimed, is somebody logging in at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. in their time zone, and what the reason for that is. It shouldn't be a you uh, a person and a cybersecurity person that has to log in at that time and say, hey, should they be getting access to this or not? It should be the system, and that's what the zero trust construct is. Okay, then the data and the analytics piece in terms of what is the conglomeration of all this information and what what type of uh, access should each user need to get, right? Uh, if you're a, a person that's doing some mission down on the tactical edge, why do you need all that enterprise level information, right? And then there's uh, there's two others. There's a security incident or event management uh, and security orchestration and response, SEAM and SOAR, those kinds of tools and techniques. What are those things from the big data platform level? So we have to be aware of what's happening as things get fed up what is the current state and how is it moving along uh, in terms of any different things that are happening either from the outside or from the inside. So that's the entirety of that zero trust. Uh, looking also from the network space in terms of how are things being configured, how is it being changed, as much log management as possible uh, so that we see the totality. The other organizations from the DOD side are critical to this is the Chief Data and AI Office, uh, along with the uh, Undersecretary for Research and Engineering looking at the new stuff, uh, and the acquisition and sustainment side in terms of what are we seeing today uh, and how do we improve upon it. 
so looking across that whole stream, the other piece that I did uh, want to mention is the service. The Marine Corps has a chief data office. So that's looking at all of the different data that's coming in from, for example, um, from a personnel readiness standpoint, uh, from the information standpoint, from the uh, technology standpoint, from the intel, bringing it all together into one common, common operating picture. Uh, so they have, we have the best analytics as possible. And speaking of access management and data tagging and what sister services are doing, the Army is currently conducting a gap analysis of what's needed for zero trust implementation. Is there a similar effort uh, happening in Marine Corps? Yes, um, we are doing an analysis and we are doing this iteratively. We continually do that analysis. It's not a one and done game because as, as I mentioned earlier, as things keep changing and as a threat keeps changing, we have to keep up with that. Uh, so that current state, and then we do those Delta models every six weeks, eight weeks, uh, three month quarterly updates and trying to figure out what the changes were and to adapt to it. How quickly can we adapt to it? It's not just the Marine side, but the Marines with the Navy too probably are also tracking flying speed and some of the things that are happening from the Navy and the, DO, uh, the Department of Navy CIO perspective and the CTO perspective. We are nested there too. So we're looking across multiple streams uh, because we do understand our mission is a little bit different from the Navy and from the Army, but then what is the, what are those best case things that we can learn and use from everybody else? What are the gaps that you're seeing that are specific to your service? Absolutely. Um, transport is a big one uh, because of, as we mentioned earlier, the way that we fight and where we fight, how we fight is completely different from everybody else's. Um, the other one you probably can see from what's happening uh, in the news and in recent events is what is that uh, low-Earth orbit, mid-Earth orbit geosynchronous satellite space going to look like? We need to get more understanding of that as things go along. The other thing that has recently developed is artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, with tools like ChatGPT. What, are, what is the art of the possible? Uh, and uh, when it's released in the, uh, in the wild, what are the adversarial effects? What are the ethical uh, concerns? What are the behaviors? How much can we trust it? So uh, you have to look at it from the totality in multiple different lenses. And that's what we're trying to get to because only when you understand that can you understand true machine learning. Yeah, and speaking of AI and other emerging technologies, what are you looking to leverage in your zero trust implementation efforts? Sure. Um, so there will be some, uh, some main two things are interoperability and integration, right? Between our service partners, between our coalition partners. And as uh, we have some legacy systems, we have newer systems. How do you ensure there's interoperability between somebody that has the latest and the greatest and somebody that might be a couple of years behind? The communication, the basic elements that still go across. So we have to be cognizant of those things, even as we go after the latest, greatest shiny object, because if only 10 or 20% of the force is able to communicate with each other, we defeated our entire purpose of doing this whole thing. 
So we're trying to look at it in different iterations, a try by fix, if you will, uh, or uh, fix, uh, practice fix, practice fix type thing. Uh, and the only way to do this is through multiple exercises. Those couple of technologies that we've already mentioned, right? Uh, satellite technologies, artificial intelligence. What are the security means is another big one. Um, cybersecurity, uh, as we can see in the totality of space, the Department of Navy has something called Cyber Ready, which we are nested with, which is assume a breach or assume somebody got into your castle. Now, how do you protect only a certain set of it or segregate it as much as possible through zero trust principles? And that's what we need to, or we are striving to get to. And then, uh, you get the from the big data platform, from the user analyst analysis and the tools available. How do you break it up so that it changes so rapidly that whatever information was provided is already out of date? Right. And also just one more thing that I wanted to ask about your first software factory. You just stood it up. Could you dive a little bit into it and uh, what's happening there right now, what you're working there? Absolutely. So um, this one too uh, is a joint thing with the Army because we are co-located there. And so we are using best of breed products and solutions and experience for that the Army has gained for the last couple of years when they stood it up. In addition to that, uh, what we're doing different is basically our use cases and how, we, how our systems are implemented. So the idea is uh, that uh, you have a 24-month window uh, for coders to get trained, work with industry through fellowships, uh, and then put out new products and new solutions out to the fleet. Uh, and we're going to do this through best uh, breed uh, type solutions from industry as well. That's what we're learning uh, in terms of the uh, processes for approvals and getting things released into actual programs. So the two elements of that is one, a coder will have the ability to go after one of these tours and go into one of the um, tactical edge and figure out what kind of additional value can I provide if there's a bug or if there's a certain issue. I don't have to wait for 30 days or 60 days for something to get fixed and then get dropped overnight. Right? I, and it doesn't have to clog up bandwidth anymore. We can do some uh, minor changes based on you know uh, things that the uh, approving official has to say, hey, uh, is this risk tolerance or not? Um, and then the other part is once we have a, a, a group like this, then the entire Marine Corps becomes much more credible uh, in what we can do. It's not just, it's not, it's like similar to driving a tank or flying a, uh, uh, an aviation uh, aircraft or system. Every Marine becomes a coder at that point. We can all try to fix stuff on the fly with that, that have minimal, you know, changes required or things that can be done very quickly. We don't need uh, to, to have all this reach back capability. So, so it's learning as we speak, if you will. Right. And could you give me an example of a use case that you can talk about that you're currently working on? Yes, uh, there's a couple of our um, uh, tactical systems uh, that are run through uh, Systems Command, 
communications and electronic systems um, that they're going to start you know doing some of this through the paces first at the software factory see how those changes affect uh, and then go through the pipeline if you will and then once those pipelines are, are put into place then those same pipelines will be used by the program director downstream too so the classic model is the r d into the acquisition and then the acquisition you know uh, puts it in terms of fielding to uh, these um, systems but once it gets fielded, then it goes into statement. But now when you do a DevSecOps model, you're doing it all at the same time, iteratively, multiple times. Maybe you are changing multiple different code code lines every single day too. Right. And just a couple more questions. First of all, could you talk a little bit about uh, your three top cybersecurity priorities? We've talked a lot about it, but your three priorities. Also, what you're planning and working on this year and what you're looking forward to. Absolutely. I'll do three big ones and then I'll um, separate that out a little bit. The number one item is McSen um, unification. We kind of hit on it. The network and to reduce bifurcations in the network. If you have the totality of the network, then we have more and more in terms of a big data platform and more and more in terms of analytics that are happening. At the same time, we have to be aware of cybersecurity in terms of how do we cordon off certain areas when it is needed uh, and zero trust helps with that. Which leads me into number two, which is the data awareness a common operating picture and have situational understanding of the entire battle space. So uh, we are um, framing that in terms of enterprise defensive cyber operations. So from a defensive posture, looking at it from the totality. Big data platform is one area that we are working with and it helps because the Army, the Air Force, the uh, Navy also have a similar big data platform. So we are using best of breed um, solutions and lessons learned from the other services, especially the Army. They're, uh, they're a little bit uh, forward on this one. And the third one um, is workforce and talent management. Talent management 2030 is another thing that's going down for force design. The digital liter literacy and the upskilling. So it's not just the coders that are in at the software factory. There might not there might be only a cohort of folks there, but the entire Marine Corps has to be un, has to understand what is happening. How are things? How are the zeros and ones flying across? What is needed? Uh, what can wait to do your particular missions? Right. User posture is another one. We all have to be aware of cyber resiliency and cyber awareness. Uh, we cannot just uh, take that on the back burner and say, uh, my system is getting protected, my PII, my PHI, or my everything is, is okay out in the wild. Uh, it's not. We are trusting our fingerprint systems or our passcodes or things on our end user devices in the commercial space. We have to do the same level of protection on the, the space that we are working in terms of the DOD networks. So the, the people are the best defense, basically. And to have cyber hygiene, that cyber hygiene is, as threat and systems keep evolving, we have to understand 
at the granular level, uh, would say back to kindergarten, uh, to say, how are these things getting architected? Uh, and how is the cloud moving stuff across? Uh, what is happening at the tactical edge? How is it feeding back in? Those kinds of use case scenarios have to always be on people's perspectives and minds uh, on what, what should I be asking for and what's the network availability. It's great if we have a lot in terms of a, uh, a fixed space that has tons of bandwidth. But when we're moving around, we cannot expect that same level of uh, full motion video or high graphics uh, imagery. And to just quickly follow up on something you mentioned, how are you working to promote that digital literacy across the service? Absolutely. Yep. One of those, um, as I mentioned, was a software factory, but it's also uh, rotations, right? Marine Corps cyberspace is a great place. Uh, you get to learn a lot of different things from that cyber environment and what is the current state or the picture there. The other side is the R&D side, right? With our partners uh, from the Navy in terms of the program executive offices who are architecting the next network the next data protocols and standards um, with our systems command organization. So that's where we look at the entire Marine Corps Navy enterprise. And then I'll bring in the larger JADC2 enterprise too. And saying we have to always be aware of what's happening with those, with those around us, right? Yeah, on the Army side and on the uh, Air Force side. It's not just a um, the planes are going across or the kinetic stuff, right? How are the zeros and ones going across? One of the big constraints on the commercial side and the military side is battery power or uh, power in any system, right? Uh, whether it be diesel or uh, fossil fuels or any other stuff, you got to bring this stuff uh, with you. The logistics tail behind every all this, all these things. The size, weight, the uh, capacity of, of an individual or a system to hold all this weight. Um, you had to consider all these things. And then back in the day, we all remember uh, all of our desktops or mainframes had all these wires going this way and that way and sideways. How do we efficiently move those things across and connect the, the systems uh, to the least as possible? whether it be uh, in a ground vehicle or in a dismount person that's moving around with some goggles on uh, and internet of things um, in their profile. So we just have to always be cognizant of all the different things that are available. It, it is the art of the possible, but you cannot also expect uh, the same as walking down Main Street with, the, with a lot of 5G bandwidth out there. Right. Sherry, thank you so much. Any final thoughts about the Unified Network or um, Zero Trust implementation efforts? Yeah, a couple of, um, one other thing they kind of hit on, what is the, what are the things that I worry about? Um, getting a couple of things right. RBAC and ABAC, attribute-based access control, role-based access control, cybersecurity baked in early, hybrid cloud solutions. We understand, as we mentioned earlier, in the tactical space, things operate differently from the enterprise space. What is that hybrid cloud? Not everything can be in the cloud because there might not be some reach back. 
then what do what does the dismount uh, user get in terms of physical hardware, right? And how is that protected? So I got to look at those kind of things. Then when we're architecting new things, cloud native access points and cloud native technologies built in. So we don't have to re-architect from the ground up. And then from a cloud perspective, multi-cloud, right? There's different things that are being used and then we have to work with our partners and uh, or different organizations. How do we harvest all the information as much as possible? Identity management is a big thing for me in terms of I don't want to sign into four different systems. I want to have a single sign-on. Everybody should know uh, who this individual looks like, or the system anyway, or the fingerprint. That should be across. Uh, and then uh, that goes into ICAM and IDAM, which is the identity credentialing and access management across the entire spectrum. Uh, so that's what I uh, leave with. What I do have a little bit of concern for the future is how artificial intelligence is going to shape out and uh, what are the limitations from the space side. Right. Sherry, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing the insights about what's going on in the space. Cybercast along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.